I'd like to welcome everyone back to the Duck Pond Wall. I'm your host, Monica Hoyle from WEHC-FM 90.7, WISC-FM 90.5. We're glad to have you with us today. The Duck Pond Wall is our chance to figuratively sit on the Duck Pond Wall and catch up with an alum. Um, today, I'm excited that our guest is Ed Morgan from Abingdon. How you doing, Ed? I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for the invitation to come today. Well, sure. Tell everybody what your class year is. Uh, I officially graduated in 1971 uh, that, uh, that summer. But I was uh, actually part of the class of 1972. There was a curriculum change, and uh, I went a couple of summer school sessions and managed to graduate a year early. Oh, you know, we called those people overachievers when I was here. Is that not what they called you back then? Uh, they didn't think I was particularly smart to do it, and uh, I wasn't sure that I did uh, disagreed with that by the time it was done. Well, you're in school with a lot of fun people, and if, if you don't mind me saying so, a lot of you all are sort of overachiever types. All of you have been good community servants, and, you know, I think in around here, even though it wasn't the whole thing you ever did, a lot of people remember Ed Morgan as mayor of Abingdon. How'd you get talked into that? Well, it's uh, one of those things that uh, I first ran for office in 2000, or excuse me, in 1998, and uh, was not elected that year, but came back and was elected in the year of 2000, and then served on the Abingdon Council for 16 years, six of that as, uh, as mayor. And it's one of those things that... Uh, what prompted me was that I felt that uh, there was a lot of change going on in the community and that it was not being planned or managed very well. And my goal was to uh, come on board and to perhaps put in some of the tools that were required to enable the town to grow but still manage change effectively. And I'd like to think I did a good job with that. Well, I think you did, which is why so many people remember you as the mayor of Abingdon. Yeah. What, what were some of the things that you felt sort of especially proud of during those days? Well, there are several things that I, I am proud of, one of which is, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, the tools to manage change. I championed uh, what was called the Entrance Corridor Overlay District, which uh, in Virginia, if you have uh, historic districts, you're able to create uh, design standards on roads leading into a historic area. That way you're not driving through a bunch of slums and rough-looking places and so forth, and then all of a sudden encountering a pristine area that's been preserved. So uh, I championed that and it was approved by the council and began to very quickly make um, some changes in terms of the new buildings and how they looked at town. I also championed a uh, uh, 50,000 uh, square foot special use permit on uh, uh, buildings, uh, or excuse me, uh, it was a special use permit on buildings over 50,000 square feet. And that gave us the tools to negotiate uh, uh, the appearance of uh, some new development and have some control over it. And that came into play uh, particularly well in about uh, the year of 2015, 2016, when we had the Meadows uh, sports development uh, come along through town. I also uh, really uh, was very supportive, if I say so myself, of uh, uh, pedestrian uh, improvements, making the town more uh, walkable. I tried to support the arts community to a great degree because I felt like it was one of the things uh, that really made a big difference in terms of the quality of life in the town. And I also uh, championed the uh, the farmer's market, which has been a wonderful addition to our community. Boy, it really has. 
It, yeah, it is that, and uh, I think Abingdon, uh, in many ways, uh, a lot of folks consider it to be the capital of Southwest Virginia, and <laughs> I think that's a title we can be proud of. So do you think people are starting to sort of notice all this good work? Oh, I think we're kind of beyond starting. Um, I would note that in the October edition of Southern Living Magazine, uh, Abingdon was listed as one of the top 10 uh, communities to retire in in the South. Wow. And uh, that is, you know, been a good uh uh, it's been a reputation we've managed to achieve over the last several years, and I think it's because we've done a number of things uh, things well. But my own experience and feeling has been that uh, Abingdon has been a community that attracts uh, creative people, gives them an opportunity to uh, to shine and to play a role in the community and its future. And you find uh, that that. Uh, Creative people attract other creative people. And so I think in many ways we've become a, a hub for folks who are interested in the arts and the music, uh, good food, outdoor recreation. It's uh, a community that I think we can be proud of. That's a good segue that you just gave us there about this being a good place to retire to. Because speaking of things you've been talked into doing, you've just recently been talked into wearing a brand new hat in Abingdon. Yes, I have um, uh recently was appointed as the new coordinator for the College for Older Adults at the Higher Education Center in uh, Abingdon. Ramsey White, who had uh, performed that job for 17 years, decided it was time for him to step back and uh, let somebody else uh, uh, take it for a while. And Ramsey recruited me for this position. And it's it's been a great thing. Uh, I've uh, It's been an educational experience for me, to say the least. But we're putting together a good programs, and we're going to be kicking off our winter session on uh, February the 6th. Well, and let's talk a little bit about exactly what College for Older Adults is. Everybody abbreviates it to COA because it's kind of a handful to say, but what? who, who gets to come? As far as I'm concerned, anybody can come that uh, that wants to, but it is designed for people who are considered uh, to be over 50. I will have to say I haven't seen many folks uh, younger than 65 there. But in general, we have uh, people who are uh, retired. They may have been professional people or educators, and uh, they come and they want to keep their minds uh, uh, fresh and to uh, stay current with uh, new thought and new ideas. I am inclined to say that our goal uh, of the program is to educate, enlighten, and entertain a little bit, too. That's a lot of good E's. It is. It's, a, it's the three E's. And, uh, and I will note that uh, we, don't give, uh, we don't give tests. Uh, we don't uh, require term papers or give final exams or anything like that. It's uh, back to education for the fun of it. Lifelong learning is a big thing right now. It's a big it's a big focus for a lot of communities, I'm noticing. Mm-hmm. Well, it is. And, you know, uh, I can look at our own uh, example here at the Higher Education Center. And uh, David Matlock, who is the director of the Higher Education uh, Center, notes with some pride that you can come to the campus uh, there of the, hi- of the Higher Education Center and you can get an undergraduate degree or, a, or an associate's degree from the uh, community college. And then you can come uh, down uh, the hill to the Higher Education Center and get a uh, uh, either a four-year degree or a master's or even a doctorate from some of the institutions that are involved in the higher education uh, center. Uh, it really uh, enables you to get a, in a good, high-quality education right there at that spot. But 
Uh, continuing that education beyond the degree programs is really what the co- uh, College for Older Adults is uh, all about. And that gives us an opportunity to uh, continue to be educated and to receive uh, learning uh, and classes from uh, a lot of folks who, uh, uh, who are anxious to share their knowledge. I've heard it said that uh, the desire to teach is perhaps as strong as the desire to learn. And I've been so pleased to, uh, to really see that in action. We've had a number of uh, real high-quality volunteer instructors come to uh, the college, and uh, they teach as volunteers. They're not compensated, and they put a lot of time and energy into offering, you know, really first-rate programs. Now, Monica, uh, who is interviewing me right now, uh, she puts together a program uh, each year involving a series of uh, speakers called the NH Roadshow, but we also uh, have a session coming up under what we refer to as our natural heritage when Steve Hopp, who is a professor here at the college and teaches uh, some wildlife management courses and some Appalachian Sustainable Food programs, Steve will be offering a program about birds. And then we have uh, Jim Warden, who was a retired professor from the college. And Jim, uh, who is a physicist, is uh, going to be talking about uh, sound and what it is and what it means to hear. And uh, he offers really exciting programs, a very, uh, very high-quality Introduction to physics, but makes it uh, understandable to those of us that didn't get a degree in physics. Yeah, he d- yes, he does. And he's yeah. got a really cute sense of humor, too, which makes all yeah. that a little bit more fun, for sure. Great fellow. I read an article not long ago that, that said, for the longest time, we've heard that working the crossword puzzle will keep our brains working and active. And mm-hmm. as we get older, that's more and more important. But th- this article said that while that's great, the real way to keep your brain elastic and happy and working well is to stay curious about things that that is the real key to a healthy brain well, and that's certainly uh, the impression that I have, too, that, uh, you know, continuing to learn is really part of how uh, we continue to live and grow and stay uh, mentally sharp. But, you know, there's some other aspects to this uh, college for the older adults that I also feel are very important. Uh, we've experienced a great, uh, many of us, a great sense of isolation during the COVID period. And now that we seem to have put the worst of uh, COVID behind us, uh, people are coming out to uh, these classes. They're getting a chance to uh, interact with uh, their peers, meet people, make some new friends, new uh, new contacts, and that socialization uh, opportunity I think is equally important to the learning that takes place. Uh, you know when you're participating in these programs. Yeah, yeah, and also the chance to to interact with not just other class members but uh, all the instructors, all the teachers yes. coming from so many backgrounds. Yes. Did you? Did I hear you say a minute ago that you had like 50 different people? Yes. Uh, I sat down uh, the other day as we wrapped up the uh, schedule we're about to publish and uh, came to the realization that there were uh, right at about uh, 50 people that were offering classes or at least one class session uh, uh, for this term that we have coming up. And uh, some of the folks, uh, I mentioned uh, some of the Emory and Henry professors, but we have a couple of really quality folks from King uh, University that will be there. Uh, Kyle Osborne, uh, who is a history professor, will be uh, talking about post-Civil War Reconstruction period and uh, his 
classes. Uh, uh, he did one last term on Civil War, and it was so well-received. And uh, one of his colleagues, Jennifer Mongold, uh, who was in the uh, uh, sort of the criminal justice uh, department or that area of the university, will be talking about the psychology of serial killers. You know, she really looks at the motivation of uh, these folks who are serial killers. She'll talk a bit about how they were actually uh, – you know, caught and uh, taken off the streets, so to speak. But she'll also touch a little bit about uh, the public fascination for these people, uh, which has its own sort of strange implications in its own way, too. But she's going to have an excellent program uh, there. Also, uh, Walter Smith, uh, who is with the University of Virginia at Wise, will be participating uh, uh, oh, as well. Yes, oh, Wally. Nice. Well, you know Wally. Yeah. Uh, he'll be talking about salamanders and reptiles and the important role they play in the ecology of uh, you know, the Appalachians. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to want to go to all the other classes this time. Well, this is going to be a complication with my day job. That's going to be a problem. <laughs> I want to remind everyone we're speaking today with Ed Morgan, Emory and Henry class of 71-ish, 72-ish, mm-hmm. who just happens to be the new director for the College for Older Adults program sponsored by the Southwest Virginia Higher Education Program. And he's been talking a little bit about some of the classes offered and all the great presenters that he has um, helping out with all this. It's amazing to me you get 50 people to volunteer to do this. I mean, that is... That is wackadoodle. What? How do you get them to, to do all this stuff? Well, I find a lot of folks are really eager to teach and eager to share their knowledge. You know, they're uh, folks of our vintage, so to speak, who've uh, lived uh, long and full lives and uh, studied particular fields and uh, developed expertise. And uh, they're anxious and more than willing to share that with people who are eager to, to learn and to uh, obtain that information and that experience from them. It is a process to, you know, find these folks and coordinate it and bring it all together. But I've been so pleased that people are very anxious and willing to teach. Yeah. You taught a class last time, didn't you? I did. I have been working for several years on a uh, book about the uh, biodiversity of Southwest Virginia. And I talked a little bit about the, well, I did a class myself on the the factors that, that really make Southwest Virginia the most biodiverse region in the United States. And the question I was addressing was, uh, how in the world was that possible and why didn't I know it? Uh, <laughs> and I'm continuing to work on that book, and I hope that maybe before this year is over, it will finally be published. Well, as long as, I, as, long as you'll autograph my copy, that's the important happy thing. To, happy to do that. If someone wants to participate in the College for Older Adults, what do they need to do? Well, the main thing they need to do is to go on the uh, website for the Southwest Virginia Higher Education Center, and you'll see a link there to the College for Older Adults, and that will take you to the registration form and the course catalog, I guess, as I would describe it. And if you have trouble with that, I'll give you uh, my email address, and you can email me directly, and that's emorgan at swcenter.edu. Perfect. All right. And is there a small fee? Yes, there is a small fee. Uh, It is uh, $40 for uh, all the classes that we will be offering and also some of the special classes that uh, we'll be offering as well, which I'm very excited about a number of those. Yeah, let's talk about that. You've got some fun sort of evening events, as I jokingly call them, the the Lyceum events. Everybody knows about Lyceums if you went to Emory and Henry, but this is going to be like a Lyceum program for COA. Well, there's a couple of things that I would say definitely fall into that category, and they're 
They're not evening programs. They're ah, day programs. Good, good. Uh, on 10, at 10 o'clock in the morning on February the 19th, I am very excited to say that we will be having a live Zoom presentation direct from uh, his home in Spain to the Higher Education Center in Abingdon by Martin Hayes, who is perhaps the premier Irish fiddle player in the world, the premier living Irish fiddle player. And Martin is an astonishingly good uh, musician, plays the, uh, the fiddle, and is so talented. Uh, and he will be playing, and we'll be doing a little bit of an interview with him, and he'll talk about uh, his own musical journey from County Clare, the eastern part of it in Ireland, to across the world, and how the music has followed sort of a similar uh, route as well. And he'll also be talking about the evolution of traditional Irish music and how it moved from um, from homes to church fellowship halls to across the world, and, uh, and talk a little bit about how it got into the Irish pubs. Uh, <laughs> You know, we have the assumption that it's uh, something that's been played in the pubs for the last 500 years, and the reality of it is that it's only been since the 19, early 1970s when uh, that music began to be played in pubs. Huh. Uh, as Martin noted, uh, the attitude at Ir- in Ireland at that time was that that uh, traditional Irish music was, as he said himself, redneck music. Oh, my gosh, and that's And there was not a respect for it or an understanding of it. And it followed an uh, evolution very similar to uh, uh, our own Appalachian music, uh, mm-hmm. which was not appreciated or recognized until really the 1970s uh, when uh, folks began to uh, make us aware of what a rich tradition we have in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I would argue that that, that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, brought some of that out, too, because it put it in the mainstream a little bit. It did. And before that was uh, uh, Bonnie and Clyde with Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Yes. Uh, really introduced a lot of us to uh, the first part of, of Blue grass uh, music. But I will recall back about 1972 that I was here and listened to a, a concert that was done by Pete Seeger's brother. Mike okay. Seeger mm-hmm. uh, did a program here at Emory & Henry uh, where he brought a series of uh, traditional Appalachian and Southern musicians here and really introduced it. It was about the first time I'd ever uh, heard that kind of music, but it was right here at uh, mm-hmm. Wiley Hall in the old uh, auditorium up there. So we have a little bit of a connection with that uh, music here as well. I've said many times Emory & Henry is sort of in the country, and it's an absolute absolute window to the world if you'll just take advantage of all that's here to see and hear. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's how you participate. Go to go say the website one more time. Uh, it is uh, the Southwest Virginia Higher Education Center. If you just look that up on uh, the internet, you will find it and you'll see a link right there on the homepage to the College for Older Adults. Perfect. And you can, one for that $40, you can take as many classes as you want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we may have some special classes uh, after this term that you'll also be you know, able to participate in as well. I feel like you're holding out on me. I am. <laughs> uh, so there's more coming down the pike. I'm hopeful there will be more coming down the pike. But uh, I've been sort of getting my feet wet with this first term and uh, just trying to see that we do a first-rate job with what we have to offer. But I'm hoping we'll be able to expand our offerings. Oh, I think that sounds great. Well, and, you know, Emory & Henry has a nice lifelong learning program, Absolutely. too. And so we're always excited to partner up on that sort of thing. So we'll 
whatever your secret is, let's let's work together on it. For we sure. will do it. Sounds good. All right. So, what if you were gonna tell people maybe a couple of highlights of what this semester looks like? You do it twice a year, right? There's a fall yeah. semester and a spring semester. Uh-huh. So what are some of the highlights that people might want to look for this time? Well, there's a couple of things, and uh, I've mentioned Martin Hayes, but I'm also very excited about a film uh, that will be shown by uh, Bill Gable. He's a retired Lutheran minister from this part of the world and uh, lived up in Conorock in that community for a lot of years himself. In 1934, his father, John Gable, was hired by the uh, Lutheran Church to come to Conorock and make a film about uh, life uh, and the missionary uh, work and uh, development and so forth that the church was doing in that community. And so he made a uh, film that showed, again, what life was like at that time, uh, the lumbering that was going on, uh, the Virginia Creeper Trail, or train, excuse me, as being the primary access uh, into that isolated community, you know, the farming that took place, the education and so on. And it's a wonderful film. Uh, Again, it was made in 1934, black and white, uh, silent, and oh, wow. and Bill will be showing this uh, uh, film and uh, and using his father's uh, written narration that he used as well. The film has not been shown publicly uh, for at least thirty years. Wow! And uh, this is what I consider to be a rare opportunity to see this and to hear uh, Bill, you know, read his dad's narration. You know, we're getting close to that film being almost a hundred years old. Isn't that crazy? Do you have a date for that yet? We do, and if I recall correctly, it is March the. 11th. Okay, but we can find that on the schedule also. Yes, you can. Exactly. And um, I, it's, uh, it's a rare opportunity to see this film and yeah. to uh, have Bill narrate it. Now, I mentioned a couple of other classes and in, in, uh, in passing, but particular interest is uh, a tour. That, uh, we have two tours. They're going to be limited to uh, a dozen people, uh, each one, of the virtual cadaver lab that is at the Higher Education Center. This particular facility, is I, I'm describing it is virtual, but basically a, uh, an individual who uh, really six individuals are displayed uh, donated their bodies to science and through uh, some very careful slicing and photography and so forth, images of uh, their autopsy bodies, so to speak, are displayed. And wow. it's not necessarily for the faint of heart exactly, but it's a, an astonishing look at the human body that you won't see outside of a, a real cadaver lab. Yeah. Uh, but this virtual uh, lab is used to train uh, students of uh, who are going into various uh, fields of medicine. And uh, the individuals who uh, donated their, their bodies are laid sort of uh, layer by layer. And it has unusual technological aspects to it. For example, uh, it shows the how the circulation works. You can see the bl- uh, the blood moving uh, through the body as the heart beats, and it can be linked up to an EKG, so you can see what's going on uh, with the heart and how it relates to the uh, you know to the electrocardiogram wow. uh, that's uh, going on with these uh, these folks. That's amazing. It it was uh, I've had one brief tour of the facility myself, and I was a astonished by what I saw. I'm sure. And it also, uh, as it was explained to me, the colors are are lifelike uh, mm-hmm. and natural. You know, as it was explained to me, if you're doing a real dissection and so forth, you're working with a body that has lost its color for the most part. Right. And uh, so this is a very lifelike uh, thing. Wow. Again, it may not be to everybody's taste, but I I found it astonishing. And you've got classes on probably on like literature, I'm we guessing? We do. Uh, 
Cindy Pojeta is uh, giving a class on the history of the mystery novel, and we don't always appreciate how one of our favorite uh, type of uh, literary venues uh, goes back to actually the apocrypha, uh, you know, of uh, the biblical period. But she'll be uh, giving a good series of classes, uh, exposing us to some of the older mystery stories that we may not be uh, familiar with. Uh, she's excited about it, and I am too. Well, neat. Uh, Judith Wiley will be talking about short stories, and uh, she's always picked out a, a fine selection of short stories uh, uh, for us to consider. History? Uh, you mentioned post-Civil War. Are there other history do. things? Yes, we do. Thank you. And uh, Lee Saunders, uh, who is a retired uh, uh, Marine uh, major uh, is going to be giving a class on the uh, history of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, wow. Now, uh, a lot of our students, uh, actually, including myself, actually lived through that experience right. as children and do have some recollection of it. Uh, there's been a lot of new information that's been developed about this, and uh, uh, Lee will give a good history of it and really talk about how our uh, country and, this, and the Soviet Union came awfully close to, uh, to going to war. Yeah. Religion? <laughs> is that a topic you cover? Don't have... We do, but we don't have uh, uh, this particular uh, term. Uh, we're not able to uh, uh, really offer a program like that, but we will be in the fall. We've had some strong programs on religion in the uh, in the past. Uh, John Bradley who uh, from Abingdon, who is a retired Air Force colonel, will be— uh, I just met him like 10 minutes ago. Did you? Now? Yes, that's so weird. <laughs> All right. Well, he'll be giving a class on the military air, uh, aircraft of uh, World War II, uh, both uh, from the Axis and Allies uh, uh, material. Uh, he's a real student of that and a wealth of information. And he'll bring that uh, to life for us. We have a couple of uh, theater programs or related uh, programs as well. Glenn uh, Weiss, uh, who goes by Bob, will be giving a class on uh, telling your stories. Most of us of our age uh, have got some story to tell. And uh, in many cases, there are people that are interested in hearing it. And he'll help, uh, help you to tell your story. Many cases, get it right. but not all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he'll tell, help you to find that limit, too, when, <laughs> when you've said enough. Uh, Jim, uh, Jim Kroll, who is a uh, former uh, barter actor and uh, has a very uh, broad-ranging career in theater, will be giving a class on sort of a reader's theater. It'll be an introduction oh, to theater, but you're not going to have to memorize lines. His class, I think, is going to be first rate. In keeping with theater, Rick Rose, who I would describe as the uh, artistic producer of the Barter Theater for many years. We'll be giving a class on changes in the theater that have taken place uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID, and he, he's a real student of uh, the theater world. Teaches up here from time to time, if I recall. Well, sure. We've got a great relationship with the Barter up here. And that's another Emory connection, too. Yeah. I hadn't uh, appreciated Emory and Henry's been a great supporter of uh, what we're doing uh, at the College Roller well, that's Dogs. nice to hear. Yeah, it's nice to be able to say it. Exactly. But, you know. Well, we are running short on time, so I'm going to kind of say we're going to wrap up and say that we really hope everybody's going to be emailing you today because your email address is uh, emorgan at swcenter c-e-n-t-e-r dot e-d-u and just 
end on this. Are you having a good time with the CDOA thing? You know, I sure am. It's uh, It's been a, a very much of a learning experience for me. I had uh, been retired for several years, and now I have to get up on a, on a regular basis and get going. But I'm meeting so many interesting people, and I'm learning an awful lot myself. Look at you. All right. Well, Ed Morgan, Emory & Henry alumnus and former mayor of Abingdon and current director of the College for Older Adults through the Southwest Virginia Higher Education Center, Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been great. This has been great. And thanks to everyone for tuning in today to the Duck Pond Wall. And we hope you'll stay tuned because this is the voice of Southwest Virginia.